0: I think we've probably been working on trying to get you on this podcast. I don't know, Scott, you tell me, for maybe a year. I want to think it's been about that that we've been talking about it and trying to to rope you in, Nick, and either it was a busy schedule or Scott's lazy. I don't remember what it was, but <laughs> oh, Scott's lazy for sure. Yeah. Probably definitely. <laughs> <laughs> First off, you know, thanks for for joining us, you know, and especially with it being a late evening there in the UK. So, appreciate you coming on the uh, the podcast.
1: Well, thank you for having me. And uh as a as a relatively new parent, time is irrelevant. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you uh, thought it was hard on ops, you sleep when you can sleep. <laughs> oh, I oh my god, yeah. I don't envy you at all for that type of stuff. Those days are long past for me, thankfully. But uh yeah, so you're probably running on what about 15 minutes of sleep in fumes? Yeah, pretty much, mate, yeah. I'm running on caffeine and rage, like any other veteran. <laughs> <laughs> uh, see, over here, it's uh, Rip It. Did you ever get oh. those?
1: Oh, is that those little cans yeah. of, like, energy drink? Oh, my sweet. They were uh, – I remember those on tour. And uh, if you did one, you had to open the fridge. You had to declare that you were having one. You had to shout Rip It as loud as you could. And then – do the whole can in one go get out of here (laughs) that that, that was part of
0: that was part of this yeah the the ritual yeah the ritual that was right yeah oh god that's awesome man And then you
1: just pt yourself till your eyes bleed afterwards
0: (laughs) (laughs) or other orifices yeah Yeah. oh my god uh so i want to go to your time when you you came into the military i i take it that you were a little bit older than your average person coming into the military in the uk because typically that's like your 15 16 range of age you were you a little bit older yeah. than that coming Yeah, in? I,
1: mean, I mean to me that's still crazy 16 it years is. of age I uh I, I was chasing um I was chasing a rugby career. I wanted to be a rugby player. I was at college. Uh I'm not going to lie. I I took I took academic subjects, but I was there to play rugby. <laughs> uh, and and to hopefully get noticed by a scout and to get picked up into one of the premiership teams. That didn't quite work out. I got I got so far, but you know wasn't going to go any further. Yeah. Um, that dawned on me, and so I had to switch fire, and I would, became a bricklayer. I got a trade under my belt first. Uh, whilst I was training, whilst I was training to um, to go for the basic, you know, for the entry for for the Royal Marines.
0: Okay. So how was it working as a bricklayer?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, given the fact that I I, I was about. Trying to think, what well, this is in pounds. I was sixteen. I was just under seventeen stone. I had a nineteen-inch neck, and I had to try and quite quickly get down to, to to something that could run all day, lift all day. You know, you know, kind of change that that uh, high explosive, short burst type body shape uh, into something that was was all about endurance and just a machine. So I was running eight miles to the building site every day. Uh, working uh, building, um, I think it was five houses we were doing on that particular site. And then I'd just put my, my my work boots and my trowel on my back and I'd run home again. Um, so, But I was being inspired at every turn. Uh, I remember one guy who was a carpenter and he'd been in the French Foreign Legion and I used to have some great chats with him. Anytime I could, I could go and glean some bits of information. Um, one piece of information I've held to this day and it's... Uh, he said, no matter what the officers are telling you and what the, what's coming through the radio, well, he said, when it comes down to it, the man on the ground will always make the call. And that's something that he told me back then on the building site. And fast forward, you know, a couple of years later, I find myself in that position. So yeah, I was a bricklayer. I got ready for the selection process. I was well prepared. Uh, I went down to Limpstone. I did the um that the pre-selection course it's kind of changed now but you had to go down for basically a week uh I think it's four days and you get thrashed it's your first taste of Royal Marines life uh and I came home utterly spent but I I'd managed to kind of come on on top of that that potential Royal Marines commando course uh I'd maxed out on all the on the you know the physical exercise stuff I was very very physically prepared um but of course you know uh, once commando training started, I was no more, no no further forward, no further back than anyone else. By about week six, we were all in the same heap of broken brokenness.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I so, think I think a lot of our listeners, um, well, they may be familiar with Royal Marines, but I can't imagine that they under understand really the training that you guys go under. And I guess you know, I don't know if it's fair to say because I'll probably take a lot of heat for this, but there may be a lot of similarities to what you end up enduring, let's say in ranger school, but it's only, yeah. you know, three months long for army rangers. Whereas yours is how long? It's
1: 32 weeks. So it's just it's eight months. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, think um, about
0: that going from uh, three months to eight months. and And do you guys have it to where you get recycled? There's a potential to get recycled and start all over again. Well, if you don't pass, so every two weeks
1: there's another criteria, something that needs to be passed, whether it's navigational or, or uh, you know, like a high obstacles course or whatever. Everything's timed, everything's time pressures, everything. And if you if you don't make that grade, there is no there is no ticket. You know, the the easiest day was yesterday type of thing. It's you go back two weeks and you have to join a new troop until you master that skill and then you can move forward. If you keep screwing up or they can't seem to teach you, you're unteachable, or whatever. You will just get out the system so that's how they can ensure that the quality is there so from the initial uh, signing up on the dotted line you have all your uh, rigorous physical um, medical exams you do that week selection so that week-long selection and then what they'll do is they'll take the top 15 applicants from about 40 or 50 and then they'll put them together to start a troop of about 60 who will start you know recruit training so they've already kind of creamed off the top and then by the end of commando training, there was 11 of us still stood who'd gone through the whole process start to finish with a green beret on their head at the end of it. So, yeah. And the, and the others had then been made up with guys who had, you know, been injured, back trooped or whatever had, had come into our troop to do the commando tests at the end uh, to, to rightfully earn their, their green beret.
0: Now, this is pretty demanding training because we're talking about physical as well as mental you know sleep deprivation food deprivation they're trying to do everything at you as you go through this thing right yeah i i distinctly remember uh being given something
1: ridiculous like 4 minutes to run to the uh, the galley which is the chow hall whatever you want to call it bolt down a plate of food uh, and then and then straight into a bot, what we call a bottom field pt session which some of them would last maybe two and a bit hours, and you know, I wouldn't remember the last 15 minutes. You're just running on fumes. And I distinctly remember climbing a 30-foot rope with 32 pounds hanging off me with a rifle and throwing up this food back down the rope. Oh. <laughs> and the PT staff laughing, crying with laughter. Uh, I was just in bits. But um, you, you get quite used to you know, You can condition the body to, to deal with these things. It's just whether the mind will... Well, if your mind can go there, your your body can go there totally. You know, it's just one of those things that, um, and that's what they're looking for is 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 those people who are who are able to complete the mission. And we have an expression in the in the corps which is no cuff too tough. So no, no matter what the job is in front of you, uh, you might have to go and um, probe an enemy stronghold with. Barely more than a section of blokes with with you know small arms, yeah. But that's what you've got to do. Um, so you make it work, and you come up with a plan. And and as Brits, we're well, I think we're fairly famed now at uh, not having quite always got all the best equipment, and just finding a way to
0: make it work. <laughs> Well, yeah. yeah, we try to give the same advice here about never quit or never deselect, you know, is another thing, because, you know, it's a, for us, you know, it's kind of a selection process. And so it, the whole idea is just don't quit. Don't don't go to the, you know, the leader there and say, hey, listen, I, I'm out of here. You know, I'm I'm done. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. it, like you said, if you keep the right mental focus and you stay in the game, you know, you you gotta you can find a way
1: absolutely and then they're going to mess with you they are going to mess with your head i so when i went through training it was 2007 and uh, an american show had come out called navy seals buds class 234 or something like that oh, I and i remember getting woken up at three o'clock in the morning and we got dragged out and put in a tank full of seawater and we were there just up to our necks and it kicking and the training instructor's I don't know if they'd had a few beers or what the crack was. They had sunglasses on and caps, like like the navy seam instructors, yeah. and they had a, a traffic cone and they were shouting at us through the traffic cone, "Do not quit! It will break my heart!" You know, in the American accents, <laughs> <laughs> and basically told us we were all going to stay in this tank of freezing cold seawater, kicking until until four of us had given up. You know, it was all mind games. All this kind of stuff is all built around. Then they'll put you back to bed. And then they get you back up like an hour and a half later, and you'll be doing all kinds of group games on the bottom field in the middle, in the dark. it's all that kind of uh, breaking you down so that you're all at the same level to start with. It's it's very important. Yeah. Wow. Sounds like fun. Yeah. uh, Looking back now, you know, (laughs) I'm smiling. I'm smiling. I'm sure I wasn't at the time at all.
0: But yeah, I, that's usually what happens is, you know, we sit there and, and remember back and me- remember those fond memories and, you know, the good times and everything else. But we don't always like to talk about those uh, those times that we didn't didn't like it so much. So. Uh, so what would you say life in the Marines was like, you know? Uh, well, my, my first unit was
1: I, I got my unit of choice. I went to four five commando up in Arbroath up in Scotland so uh you know anything involving scotland generally involves mountains and uh fog oh my god every single day just to just to leave the accommodation you you live uh in the same so the same group of guys you go to war with is, is you're living together in an apartment in a, like a small block uh so you've got your corporal your lance corporal and then your marines in a four-bed room there so the corporal and the, the corporal and the lance corporal will have their own accommodation their own rooms within this block you have a joint joint kitchen, joint kind of living space. Uh, and then there's like a four-man room at the back where everyone's got a corner where the Marines are. Uh, well, you're all Marines. But um, And and that's basically it. And every morning you turn to down at company lines and at 4-5 Commando, there is a giant ski slope, artificial ski slope. So if you, if you make a mistake, like if you turn up late, stinking of booze, you've been out the night before, like whatever guess what you're gonna be doing uh you will be going up and down that artificial ski slope with a full day sack of you know <laughs> full battle weight um so yeah it was always very inventive up there it was always very creative the punishments um it was just a great lifestyle because it's so far away from the regular brigade yeah you know uh, you can grow your hair a little bit longer <laughs> you can kind of it's 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 been long been famed for years as a breeding ground for 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 sf because it's very much more you're sort of mountain arctic warfare specialists
0: now now this Um, is just north
1: of dundee yeah exactly so nights out in dundee trying to run home all that kind of stuff yeah
0: yeah i've been in dundee uh multiple times on as a uh, well when i was working for a life sciences company we had a facility that was there in dundee so i know the area very well and as far as you know rain fog cold everything that you're Mm. describing so if it's a bit north of there I, I can I can get a very good uh perspective. So what is it? Uh, Aberdeenshire is just north of, of there. And, that, and that's yeah, so Aberdeenshire is, is north further north again. It's pretty much a taxi ride
1: or a train ride from our into Dundee uh and the famed Fat Sam's nightclub. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is the only reason I was gonna go to Dundee. <laughs> so so do tell Fat Sam's I'm trying to remember in Dundee.
1: Uh, the, the London Club was the other one. Not that I could get into either with my accent. Cause I sound like <laughs> Prince Charles when I was up there. And they would just look at me straight away, look at me head to toe with a big kind of Lego square head with the haircut and the, you know the shoulders and just go... Use a marine. And I'll go, no, 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 I'm a student, mate. I'm a student. And then they go, you're not coming in. <laughs> they, they don't need the trouble. They don't want the trouble. You know, it, it's not quite the same thing as in America where everyone says, thank you for your service and hands you a beer. Yeah. It's very much the opposite. It's you guys have just come off tour.
0: We don't want this place getting turned upside down. You're not coming in.
1: That's that's how it was. At the yeah.
0: Time. Oh, my gosh. Uh, you know, and I never really paid attention to, you know, the, the people and stuff like that around there. I was staying in a very nice hotel downtown. And uh but you would usually walk to several of the pubs that were nearby in downtown area. So more than likely I probably hit one of those. Uh, those, those <laughs> same than, areas. More than likely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't see you there, I guess. No, no, no. Well uh two thousand and uh two thousand eight, two thousand
1: nine. Yeah. So I left uh late nine, early ten. Okay. And then I, I moved down to um Uh, a tier one unit I was attached to uh, as a a support role where the next part of the adventure. Oh yeah. So do tell. Well, I I did the first tour. My first fighting tour was with four or five commando. I was in whiskey company. Um, And that, that was a lot of, uh, a lot of, I'm not going to lie. That was a lot of trauma. That was a, that was a a pretty heavy tour. That was Herrick nine uh, for for the British troops listening or for, for the Americans. That's, That's what we called it. Herrick, Herrick nine. Um, in 2008-9, bloodiest year of the fighting. So uh, we were with, who were we working with in Sangin? Um, I think it was 3-5 call sign. Uh, U.S. Marines were on the other side of town to us, and they were in a PB Tangiers. We took over from them. My, my particular troop took over from those guys at one point. Um, it was one of those builders. You'll be there two days. Like two weeks later, we're still there waiting for a whole company to come and uh kind of uh take take it on um and the infamous pharmacy road I, I distinctly remember leading patrols up and down pharmacy road which was a real uh you know squeaky bum time and that stuff is uh i think the single largest loss of life for brits happened at pharmacy road so uh and, and thankfully the u.s came in uh, after that tour and just literally leveled it for 300 meters in every direction oh my gosh yeah it was pretty pretty rough tour lots of Fixing bayonets and in in the corn, uh, lots of cat and mouse with the enemy, lots of up close and personal IED, oh, so IEDs, and um, danger close artillery strikes with uh, with the the, the British one oh. I think you have like the one five five. We've got the one oh five millimeter. So we had two nine commando in support who were dro- dropping rounds. At one point, we got ambushed at like forty meters. Um, by some uh, some interesting characters and uh you know my section commander managed to the poor guy took one through the shoulder like we had nothing to hide behind either it, it was a textbook we were in the open and the corner had all been cut so without going down a rabbit hole um we subsequently had to put down a huge weight of fire get up and peel into a ditch behind god knows how anybody didn't get hit and even the medic had got seven mags down um I was on the Mini-Me, a saw, saw gunner, or the 5.56 version, yeah. the uh, the para uh, with the fold-down stock. Uh, I I must have done, I did one box straight off the bat across the top of the wall uh, to try. and. But all I could see was a pair of RPK legs looking right back at me, oh. like 40, 40 meters away, oh just God. strafing the earth around me and everything. It was chaos. Um, yeah, and then the 105 came in from 6k away so you imagine the angle of the dangle on the gun yeah you cannot afford a drop short at that point so that was that was day one so we'd fixed bayonets we'd had this massive tear up with the enemy um i can't remember how many uh, we, we, we'd come off on top we had to do uh, an amphibious extraction instra- extraction so we had to then make a run for it down into the river and use the banks as cover to get back up to wade back up uh to a local pb with the Afghan National Army giving us covering fire, and there were rounds falling in the water all around us. Um, And then we got ambushed another two times on the way back to the main fob. So that was day one. Uh, Welcome to Sangin. And, uh, yeah, the rest of the tour kind of followed the same trend. But just lots of um, all the very nastiest things you can ever see and experience going on there. That then led into, fast forward, uh, me going down to... um, Taken on a more logistical role. So I did the only course that no Royal Marine has ever passed. I did the chef course, (laughs) where uh, basically it was my golden ticket out of the unit to get to go and attach myself to a tier one unit and see what life was like there. As a chef. On the books, I was a chef. I never did a single day in the kitchen ever. (laughs) As soon as I got there, they said, Hey, you're off to the jungle. I was like, What? (laughs) <laughs> so one of the guys you've had on the course already uh you've had on here foxy oh yeah yep so uh, he, he was in uh one of the squadrons at the time and so my first ever trip i'd been there like a week they were like yeah you're off to you're off to the jungle with um whichever uh, letter he'd been assigned to uh x from memory so anyway so yeah and then we so we were off to belize and um i suddenly i've got like a 80 kilo calor gas bottle and a 35 man cooks it on a fold out table thing i've got to hump all this stuff into the into the jungle off the truck uh and set up in this little hacienda this little kind of compound that the uh it was a lovely little place the the cia used to use it as a as a listening post i think at one point it was called like the um what was the radio station the voice of america oh no lie get out of here yeah so that was that was one of their little places so so we had that for a bit uh whilst the exercise was rolling on and uh i just got handed a bunch of cash and a petty cash box and they were like yeah go go find one of these particular trusted locals who can who can assist you and uh you know we we don't care we'll beat twice a day and sort us out so that quite quickly when you're in that role um and you're you're at that sort of unit. You as a Royal Marine, you're you're you know you've got multi-use there. So you, <laughs> yes, you have a job to do, but quite quickly it'll be oh you can drive a lorry, yeah. You'd be like well yeah yeah okay. Do you mind driving this forty-five foot low loader to Scotland? Yeah, okay cool. You end up getting thrown into all these different job roles, um, and so I did uh, I did five more tours um, whilst attached to that unit, and and to say. Three of them were in that chef role, uh, albeit that when I was in these tiny locations very far forward near the Pakistan border, um, north of Kabul, I would also get roped into, uh, well, hey, there's a, you know, mentoring uh, one of the um, Afghani special forces call signs. So why don't you take those guys through the killing house and, uh, oh, it's going to be live. Uh, Make sure you take a helmet, you know. The next thing I'm, I'm rolling through in a group of four, off the back of these guys' plates, rolling through, squeeze go. You know, going into rooms and they're out on a push. They're pushing, yeah. so they're like, right. We just need someone else to just deliver this stuff for these guys. <laughs> so you end up doing live section taps up the range. You're taking them for fizz for PT. You, you know, you're just backfilling all the spaces. So it was good. It was good. Um, you know, I, I obviously got the best of all the best food, rightly so. <laughs> and uh, I was I was doing I was doing deals with the Canadians for. For spider, crab and lobster, I'd have an ISO container flown in every now and again just to treat the boy. (laughs) It it was great. It was very unorthodox, uh, which is is life, uh, one of those units, and it's very, very high speed. I was out of the country nine months of the year, and I was burning out. I was really, really burning out, and uh, I didn't know it, or I did know it and wasn't willing to accept it. But the problems were there from the moment I came back from that first tour you know things were i think i think that was part of the reason i didn't want to be in that unit anymore because everything about it just reminded me of that stuff so i i thought a ah, fresh start fresh start, take a step back logistical role this would be great and, and for the most part it was it, uh, you know but um there's no space or time at a unit like that for anyone who is starting to operate uh in a sub like if you can't if you can't keep up with the pace or if you're struggling in any way shape or form and they're literally like there's a fire throw a bucket over it there's another fire throw a bucket over it there's no longevity or well-being kind of package or anything kind of built into that it's right. it's he's broken get me another one so that was kind of a tough thing um, and those last those two other jobs um, were in a extremely clandestine role so i I got kind of fast forwarded um albeit selected i don't know how you want to call this but um there are there are other entities that go on inside of any unit like that and they hand pick generally hand pick seasoned operators from various uh, squadrons to go and do jobs the big hand came down and it just so happened at the time that they were short or they needed or whatever. Someone looked at my file and went, okay, he's mixed it up before. But the the fundamental was I had a skill that they desperately needed. And it was that I spoke a language fluently natively. And so therefore could pull off the whole cover story and everything else. So, yeah, I got fast forwarded into, uh, like Alice in Wonderland, looking through the, uh, looking through the, 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 the glass there and seeing the other side of, 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 the battle space completely what was the uh, language Voilà. Uh, so i could pull off being canadian or whatever whatever was needed so i yeah i ended up disappearing and doing a whole bunch of uh, crazy harebrained stuff somewhere else um but initially i was on an exercise with the french equivalent uh and kind of <laughs> as a chef I was handing out meal tickets I didn't cook a single thing uh, with the petty cash box again um but but being used as an interpreter so I was giving the weather reports I was giving you know kind of translating all the bits and if sure. if, if our CEO wanted to speak to their CEO I'd kind of go and facilitate and sit in the meeting and uh, and then yeah the big hand came down from there so it was a it was a 20 minutes notice to move ditch anything that attributes you to British Armed Forces and you are gone uh, and that's exactly what happened so um I mean, really like,
0: like mi6 stuff here it sounds like right oh
1: i don't know mate i don't know <laughs> i don't know
0: <laughs> moving on
1: <laughs> so, so um so yeah i re-emerged from that world and uh and was still in one piece somehow and louise had desperately been trying to to get hold of me and it had turned out that my mum had cancer stage three which oh. breath both breasts so i'd just come out of this extremely extremely high pressure uh role where you're pretending to be different people and you've got to you know kind of it's all about building relationships and la 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 la, la into straight back into sort of frying pan fire frying pan fire that's kind of how it felt um you know kind of give you a hug and then give you a slap that's the military service yeah uh, hurry up and wait and then then i they you know my first time in my entire life i found myself going oh crap I've got to use the welfare service. Like you can imagine the alpha male ego mindset of the, uh, of the, of the the very creme de la creme British SF operators that I'd been, you know, working alongside and aspired to be maybe if I ever wanted to do selection one day, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and these guys are are absolutely world-class, but (laughs) there's no space for that. So I, you know, I didn't even know how to how to articulate it. I kind of whispered to one of the medics. I was like, "Mate, you know, where is the welfare centre? He was like, "What?" I was like, uh, <clears throat> "There's a little welfare centre. Like, oh, it's just down there." I didn't even know it was right by the main gate. So I went down there, presented myself. As soon as I found myself talking about mum's cancer, I, I was you know wobbling, tearful, all kinds of you know, not not very uh, well put together there. I was really struggling, and they said, "Yeah, sure, fine. Uh, who's your hierarchy?" And I said, "Whatever." And they said, "Done." you're having time off. So I got to go for one week of every month with mum and sit with her through chemo and, you know, her losing her hair and going through all that process. It was really hard. It was hard. It was hard. It was a different type of hard to what I experienced before, but it was just another layer added onto that that backpack of stuff that I was now starting to carry around Uh, and that was getting getting mixed up, uh, the stuff that was in that backpack. So by the time end of that last tour, I came off a seven-month with no r and I was broken biscuit. I had mad hair out here, great big hair, like a, like a proper fro with a big Mexican handlebar mustache. I did not care for hierarchy one bit anymore. I didn't care. I just saw – I no longer saw the system as I used to see the system. I had very much broken three, and I think part of that was actually going on that other journey uh, and, yeah. and you know through the looking glass because i'd start to see the much much bigger picture and i now see that as an absolute plus to my entrepreneurial mindset and the way i think about stuff now i've broken free of black and white and, and hierarchy and kind of this and yes i no, sir, three, back, four, so three bags full so i'd broken free of that so uh so yeah you know it's, it's the old everything happens for a reason and it all comes good in the end one way or another so mum survived um cancer and she's she's still in remission and she's just had a the all clear again actually just last week which is amazing to hear um yeah that is and yeah we we are you know sort of end of the tour sat down with a psych nurse who had come out on the tour and identified myself and some others i didn't know how many others but i knew there had there were others and <clears throat> she said i'll let you finish the tour when she was out there but you have to promise to come see me at the end so i said fine I got back off Bryce Norton. I we drove back. We handed our weapons into the armory, um, and then you're pretty much good to go. Uh, straight back into into home life, and very <laughs> more often than not, I think I was only ever decompressed by military standards. As in, I had the two days the two cans of beer and the the night in Cyprus and the comedian, which is the magic wand, which after, after how many months of fighting, you're supposed to be okay to go back into society. I only (laughs) ever had that once (laughs) in in all those tours. So, so I went, I went back and uh, she asked me three questions. I couldn't leave the base until I'd seen her. She asked me three questions and I I couldn't even tell you what they are now. Um, But I just cried my eyes out. I was broken. And so she just, um, she said, right, that's it for you then go and leave and I'll be in touch. So I went on leave. And I think at that point, I'd been out of the country. I think I was owed like 101. I had so many what we call days out of bed. I was so far over the properly allotted amount of time. And then there was a logistical mix-up where I should have been sent straight to the recovery center. But the long story short, I spent seven months. Uh, I spent another, So I seven months on tour. And I spent seven months just like some kind of crazy man at home working in the woods. So I bought this little piece of woodland and uh, it gave me a place to be. I had the house that I'm sat in now to do up uh, with the bricklaying skills. I was changing chimney pots. I was kind of, I was putting in wood burners. I was just absolutely manically staying busy to try and keep it all together. But underneath. Falling apart. Yeah. yeah, Real bad, man. Real bad. I was around the campfire with a litre bottle of rum, drinking just... Just trying to just trying to switch myself off, and I'd wake up clutching a bottle of rum with the fire, you know, just an ember, and the snow was all around me. Louise thought I was dead, you know, she 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 didn't know. What, yeah, that wasn't good times at all. Um, but like I said, I'd pick up the tools the next day. I'd carry on swinging the axe. I I didn't want anything noisy. No chainsaws. I didn't want anything. I was really struggling with hyperacusis. Um, yeah, do you, think was, was a, do you think a lot of that also had to do with traumatic brain injury. Well, this is the bit that never gets investigated in the UK, and mm. I've seen several specialists since who have all kind of in- indicated that my, my memory loss and all the kind of other things I've struggled with go, yeah, man, you, you definitely got some TBI in there as well. Yeah, um, And if you think, you know, 105 shells coming in, it, it's got. I lost all my hearing for three days on that incident alone out of my left ear. Um, now, the hearing tests... I actually am literally on the borderline for qualifying for hearing loss. So I've just given up on that rubbish. It, it seems to me like the British military is all basically like an insurance policy game now. If you want to try and get, get sorted out for anything, it's you've got to jump through the hoops of fire. And especially with, with my diagnosis of complex post-traumatic stress disorder now, uh, I, I still haven't been, um, you know, kind of completed... Um, I've I've long since been in, in official therapy now, and I'm I'm managing myself uh, in the woodland and kind of trying to kind of stay on track. Um, but oddly, the only thing that really seems to really upset the apple car and is tying me back to military service is the fact that I still haven't been sorted out by that AFCS claim service. It's rubbish. I was diagnosed in 2014. I, I was f- going to ask
0: you what year that was. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I first presented myself in 2012. I took myself along off the back of that first tour. I was having some bad nightmares and all kinds of weird stuff. And uh, and some notes were made. And they all kind of say, you know, ruminating thoughts of Herrick 9 and um, guilt, feelings of guilt, feelings of shame. All that stuff was there. But because it wasn't there from a psychiatrist's hand, it was from the psych nurse's hand. They can't go on that first point of diagnosis. So what? we go to 2014. Yeah, trust me now we're what, 2021? And it still hasn't been uh, tidied up or rectified. It is embarrassing what's going on, quite frankly, at the moment. Um, I know moves have been made to rectify it. We now have an office for Veteran Affairs and things are definitely moving in the right direction here in the UK. We are on a positive track now. But sadly, I think I'm going to be, <laughs> I fear I'm going to be that generation that's just the wrong side of the fence Mm. Uh, to to, 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 yeah, well, I just have to see how that plays out. But, um, so did they end from- up
0: separating you from active service uh, through yeah. this process? Okay.
1: Yeah, totally. So I got downgraded, uh, I got downgraded and stuck into a Naval recovery service center. Wait, downgraded how? So like I went from active duty Marine to, uh, so you've got like a P2 is active service. P3 is twisted your ankle. You've got the laminated piece of paper to say you can't do PT. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Lanyarded and waterproof to your hand. Um, yeah, we all know those guys. Yeah. And, uh, and th- sadly, I'd found myself in in P seven, which was like dancing around the rim of getting spat out of service, medical discharge, but uh, because of how bad uh, my symptoms and and how things were, I had blue tack over the phone, over the camera, over the speaker. I was sure I was being followed up listened to Russians, Chinese, Foreign Intelligence Service. I was I was driving twice around roundabouts. I was I had grab bags in my car. I wouldn't even walk in a straight line from the uh, recovery service centre on the base to the shop and back without going viral the plant pots and checking out all the roofs and all the windows and yeah, I was really struggling. Really, really struggling. Uh, drinking and training. Physical training and drinking. That that kind of combo for me was the was the uh, yeah, that wasn't a good time. So I worked hard. I did the EMDR. I don't know if you do that in the, mm. in the
0: US. What is EMDR?
1: Uh, eye movement. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Research. Yeah. So I did did like a year of that. And then they then they did a load of um, uh, CBT, trauma focused. And then I finished it up by going to see another organization, which is Rock to Recovery. And I started doing some NLP, yeah. linguistic programming as well. So I have thrown everything at this. And all the, all the while you're in the recovery center, you know, they, they are pushing you to do uh, um, yoga, um, aqua, what was it, hydrotherapy. Um, you know, you've got, you've got your movement specialist, you've got their, they're taking care of all your physical injuries. Because I'd use training as a, as a coping mechanism, I was full of, I'd have like, I've had three knee ops now. <laughs> you know, because you're just climbing a piece of rope with a respirator on for an hour, at uh, altitude, endlessly. Oh, boy. Just, you know when you see those bears in the zoo and they've gone <laughs> mad? That, that's kind of how I was. I used to come back off tour like a piece of sinew. There was more fat in my <laughs> kitchen table. And then within a couple of weeks, I just hit the beers and I just totally yo-yo again. So it's, I'm sure there's people listening who can understand that time and that place because it was, you know, we, we, were, we were a nation at war and uh, at war fighting overseas. And being a small group, commando or three commando brigade or, or that group, it was the same faces going out the door every single time. You know, I had friends that had done eight fighting tours. <laughs> it's just crazy.
0: Wow. Yeah. Uh,
1: in, in, in Afghan, albeit our tours are only six months and yours are like two years or something. Well, the, they're,
0: yeah. I mean they can be shorter if you're in a special operations like you were. Um, but the, uh, the longer tours are more for the conventional military, Did you ever hear, or have you guys started using over there, um, either of you, the stellate ganglion block? You know, to help treat traumatic brain injury.
1: No, heard of it? No, it sounds amazing. What is it?
0: Uh, It's it's happened a lot here. You know, where we're starting to see it um, really being used a lot more within post traumatic stress and traumatic brain injury, and it's basically it's something that I think warrants a lot more. you know, investigation, especially by those other forces like the UK and stuff like that, that may not be as far advanced as America is in evaluating post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury. And, um, you know, not only just recognizing the symptoms, but also having different therapies outside of just consultation, you know, just
1: EMDR, just talking therapies. They don't even recognize a neuro program. They won't recognize it. It's literally, you have the EMDR and the CBT. Mm. And, and now there's these clashing, um, we have a thing called the NICE guidelines, which are like the government-stated guidelines for stuff. And NICE is actually kind of saying right now that you shouldn't do EMDR or trauma-focused EMDR with, with combat veterans. Um, but you've got to remember that we have, we have also, there's many other things that go into this. There are things, there are factors like with what I do now, around the campfire working with other veterans on our woodland warrior program. Okay. So this, this is me now, uh, taking that step back and and listening to them and their stories and, and kind of helping to kind of guide them and shape them through stuff using, using bushcraft wilderness, living skills and the natural world. Um, and, th- and there's a lot to be said for getting into the outdoors. There's the whole, you know, you go to bed when it gets dark, you wake up when it gets light. That's, that's your, your circadian rhythm starting to, fix itself that you only need you know like three four days in the outdoors and your body starts to secrete melatonin again as it should do not not as we do right now under artificial light staring yeah. at blue screens long into the night you know kind yeah. of we, we ignore We're having the... to
0: take a pill to help us do it yeah well
1: it's so, all right yeah and, and you can even buy melatonin now you could buy mel- i don't know what the absorption rate is but yeah if you want it you can buy it that's that's the world we live in so um so yeah so that kind of there's so many different things out there as a veteran. It, it can be confusing
0: at times, I guess. And you'll have seen this as well, that psychedelics, the use of psychedelics. Oh, yes. We've, uh, we've heard a lot about that. The, uh, some guys end up going to other countries in order to, uh, to use psychedelic. And I've heard of psychedelic treatment, I think, even happening here in America in some places. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's
1: things like ayahuasca. There's things like yep. mushrooms. There's things like there's all kinds of stuff being tested and, and, and worked with right now. I guess uh if 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 you're going to ask me my my personal standpoint on these things it would be that right now i'm just going to keep going the way i'm going because it's keeping me on track i wouldn't say that i'm any better <laughs> i'm still irritable i struggle at times i still have bouts of sleep deprivation all the rest of it but as soon as i feel that come in i put management You know, I put management process in straight away, sleep hygiene routine, lay off the caffeine. I start to wind things back again. I start to, I grip myself and catch myself so fast now. I've almost not even gone into the cycle. I'm just, I'm like, ah, right. Okay. I know what's coming. You still get tripped up. You still get triggers that, that catch you out. Um, because it's been, as I said, quite an eclectic, uh, career of different, um, it's not kind of been the same thing every time. Right. So, uh, and going back actually to, to talking about treatment, I know we're jumping around a little here, but no, no, no. One of, the, yeah. one of the first things that came out of the EMDR was something that, whilst I thought it was just purely service, um, and you know, it's it's in black and white, it's so on the, it's in paper that my my childhood, I'm very fortunate. To touch, you know, I'm very fortunate. I had a great childhood. My, it's all service attributable injury. In between tours, there was a, um, a civilian, there was an accident. Um, it was a young lady, and make of this what you will. I'd been drinking so hard all day in a pub, I'd been thrown out. And I I was walking home, and I, it's the last pub before I have to do three miles of country lanes, and I'm back to my little village where I grew up. And I look in the window, and it's like, it's like two o'clock in the morning. And I see a bunch of girlies in there, and the barman who I knew, and uh, so I'm knocking on the window like, hey, let me in, let me in, come on. They're like, yeah, let him in, let him in. He's back on leave, let him in. So they let me in. And I drank about a quarter of a pint and passed out on the sofa. I was out, out cold on the sofa, snoring. The first thing I knew, someone threw the pint glass over me and was screaming about this young lady's leg. Something had happened. And I kind of got up off the sofa and I'm all over the place, wandering down this corridor to the disabled toilet. Which is by far the better toilet of this establishment, (laughs) shall we say. It was a classy establishment. So she'd used the disabled loo downstairs, which is clean. And the poor girl had been, from what I understand, she'd been pulling up her knickers and knocked into the wall-length mirror next to her, which had come off of the mount, broken, and a shard had gone into her femoral artery. Oh. Freak accident. Jeez. Uh, uh, it was hitting the ceiling and she'd already been going for about a minute by the time I got in there. So I kind of like came around this corner all kind of lackadaisical. And then you've got this pristine white tiles, white toilet with this horrendous scene unfolding. Mm. Um, And it dawns on me that I'm, I'm literally the only person here that's going to do anything about this. So I kind of gave it a very bad drunken John Travolta slide on your knees into the situation Took one look, got a face full of, 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 the, of blood and uh, basically did two, two thumbs, direct pressure, clamped down like, like a sort of, you know, when you're trying to get as close to someone as possible, like to preserve strength, like Jujilian, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Mm-hmm. And then covered her from the leg so she couldn't see what was going on. Shout, just said over my shoulder, oh, yeah, you know, it's a nasty cut and we're going to get you patched up. Looked at the barman and was like, ambulance now um i remember taking the pressure off and getting a face full again and it was just going everywhere and just trying to hold on for dear life i I held on for 20 minutes and the ambulance finally arrived and i remember the paramedics purple gloves taking over and my arms being stuck in this kind of praying t-rex position and the barman had to help me open up my arms because obviously i'd probably been in fight or flight at the time i looked like i just murdered someone all my clothes are completely drenched the whole toilet is just a complete mess so I did I did what I thought was the right thing at the time and I cleaned the whole scene forensically. I just cleaned everything up. I pulled Get the glass away. Here. I cl- cleaned the whole thing because I I felt I felt like I'd already been exposed to it and I didn't want them to see any more of that stuff. They didn't need to see that. That was that was a murder scene. It was a bad scene. And um then I walked home three miles and I, and I, every time now if I'm like if I've been swimming in the river and I've got a t shirt on, that feeling of a cold, cold fabric on your chest. Yeah will remind me of that time of walking home that night and that cold yeah man I was that was horrible I had to burn my clothes but um so that was like between tours and then obviously I was going out the door and doing the tours and stuff so this is why the diagnosis is brackets complex but the majority of it like I say almost everything that plagues me daily is is going to be stuff from service stuff to do with little kids stuff to do with whatever and so uh, another thing that we, we went on to set up once I'd kind of decided what it is I wanted to do with my life, after the, uh, it, during my time in recovery, there came that crossover point. Um, I had to choose what I wanted to do. So one of the things we set up alongside the Bushcraft Company, alongside the Woodland Warrior Program, that kind of came later on as I started to improve, was the kindergarten. We set up a kindergarten for three to five-year-olds. <laughs> when I had these two amazing teachers in the woods and these kids were off grid every day around the campfire, hundred percent Monday to Wednesday, uh, learning preschool. And, uh, that was a really successful product right up until COVID struck the planet. Ah, yeah, that's right. I know that's kind of the way it goes. So we had to pivot then and come up with a new plan. Um, and the new plan has been, we knocked down my little cabin in the woodland that I built from recycled materials And we now have a super-duper, all-singing, all-dancing eco-cabin with solar panels we recycled off a house. And it'll have its own off-grid water system that catches all the rain off the cedar roof and pumps it back in and sterilizes it. Uh, And it's going to have a wood burner with a back boiler as the heater that goes to a hot water cylinder and a small vented. I mean, it's it's – yeah, the other thing I did, I started a YouTube channel. So I started a YouTube channel over COVID. That was
0: also part about of our bushcraft episode. stuff, and and
1: what yeah, you're... yeah, yeah. Just kind of passing on all the stuff that I've learned, all the experience, all the lessons. Um, I mean, I did a whole heap of a whole heap of qualifications as well. I've done ethnobotany, ethnobotanical qualifications. So learning about uh, trees, plants, flowers, their chemical constituents, and then their relationship to us as humans. Mark one medicine. So that's why I was kind of saying I sit on the fence with the psychedelic thing. I leave the shrooms alone. I understand them and I understand what goes into them and how they work. Uh, there are also plants in the UK that, that have similar effects like wood betony and things like that. But there's not enough research in there. I think a paper has come out on wood betony with PTSD uh, 2020. You'll have to Google that. But um, I think for now I'm going to sit back and just just stick with spending vast amounts of time in the outdoors around a campfire with other people sharing the journey Cooking is another, obviously, cooking is paramount. So, you know, we do all kinds
0: of outdoor cooking stuff. Um, the, real, the real cooking, not the not real cooking. Of, not the kind of cooking you did while in active service.
1: Not, yeah, not, not boiling the bag MRE. Here you go. <laughs> 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 it, it's it's become a bit of a running joke. I occasionally get sent pictures of Steven Seagal with the chef hats on. There's oh, chef yeah. Hat. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've had. Uh, Kiss right back. Like, I've had Hmm. some abuse about that before Um, but listen if people don't like it that's that's the truth I can't can't change what happened Um, yeah it it did did put a few noses out of joint.
2: How did you how did you find out how did you know that the the woodland was going to be beneficial for for, for you and was that something you'd always done or was it something you wanted to do?
1: Yeah I think I was um, uh, a posh version of a redneck growing up if you could find such a thing so I grew up in the (laughs) southeast and uh you know in the times before a mobile phone where you disappear with your bike for three days and you'd camp out and you'd make a fire and you'd come back with no skin on your knees and and you'd been fishing and you know I had a shotgun at 16 and a rifle at 80 it was all very rural and so I spent lots of time with uh, my mate's granddad he would teach us how to whistle you know whittle whistles from willow and all these kind of things um, so that was very much my rural upbringing and you could also say that was my safe place to go back to. So um, buying a woodland in 2012 that desperately complete doer upper I mean it had no paths. it had no steps. It, it was like a giant hedge. it was so light suppressed there was no there was no life on the forest floor because the trees had just shrouded out everything. it was very scrub and thorn and and just brutal um, and on a slope as well. And so I was in the recovery center and that So you talk about that sort of defining moment, Scott. I'd say, yeah, I had a conversation with my sergeant major at the time who was a very patient man to deal with me. I was like a like a kind of highly sensitive, uh, overgrown teenager, you know, kind of very I could go angry at the blink of an eye. And uh, I was in the office one day and he's saying, look, you know, you're not, you're not going to go back into service. You've got to decide what you want to do with your life. What, do you, What is it you want to do? I said, oh, I don't know. Maybe I'll use my French speaking. Maybe I did lorry driving, forklift driving. Well, had all these qualifications that, that the core had given me. But he said, do you want to do any of that? I said, no, <laughs> honestly, hand on heart. No, I don't, sir. I, pff, I don't want to do this. And he was like, well, you're going to have to kind of decide like pretty soon. Um, so what is it you wanted to? Do? And he, he was ho- trying to pin me down and hold me to account. This guy's like a, I had massive respect for this guy. He's like a Falklands veteran, four uh, two commando reconnaissance guy. I mean he's he's, you know, nails uh, a re- really kind of uh, well respected um, uh, bloke in the core. And like I didn't want to be rude to him, but equally I could just feel myself boiling up. Anyway, in the end I kind of snapped and said something like. I don't know, spend all day, spend all day gobbing off in the woods, but that's not gonna make me a fucking living, is it? You know, like raging. And uh, he said, he said, right, get out of my office and come back with an answer by the end of today. And I I t- need take the door off the hinges as I slammed off and I stormed off like a stroppy teenager. I went back to my room in the in the recovery center and um, Google, no one would have liked Google, making money from small woodland. And up comes charcoal burning, firewood, bushcraft and I'm like can can you even do qualifications in that is that even a thing so anyway i sit there looking at the screen for a bit and i think back to i'm thinking work you know they're always going on about work to your strengths work to your strengths I'm, and yeah. i'm looking at images of bushcraft and and i'm looking at trout being cooked over a fire and and you know and and hardwood hardwood pegs being driven through the grain of a softwood to mount the steak or the, or the trout that's called planking next to the fire and, and cooking indirectly and all this kind of... I'm thinking, yeah, I could do this. I could do this. I could do this now. I know how to do all this stuff. So I, I march back down into the office proudly and say, bushcraft. He looks at me and says, what? I said, bushcraft. He's like, can you do qualifications in that? He, I, he didn't know. So then I went to see the employment sergeant, who didn't know. And we started this whole process of finding the best school in the country for me to go and do these qualifications. Uh, We had to get the sign off from the quack to say that I was stable enough to do that. And uh, they said that it fell perfectly in line with my my current recovery process. So that was okayed. The various, um, the Royal Marines charity funded the course. And I did the level three, rolled straight into the year long level four, um, I discovered that Civvy Street is not duty attend courses. They're not going to leave the book open and say, "Gents, I'll come back in ten minutes." <laughs> it, you have to pass stuff. You, you have to learn. So, but what was really interesting was I'd gone from a point where I, I, like I said, I had all this blue tack on my phone, and I'd gone completely. You know, I was really struggling with the whole uh, feeling of being followed constantly. Like my cover story was unraveling, with everyone I was speaking to it is a nightmare. Um, to, to being able to assimilate all the latin for all the plants all the trees all of the information every word that came out of the man's mouth i was just hanging on to i was just desperate for this this new identity this new knowledge uh, and actively practicing it from the word go i was in my room carving making spoons bowls every night the the, the cleaner was complaining you know the wood shavings in a in a hoover again and um then you know, drops of blood where I'd, I'd messed up with a razor sharp knife and caught my finger and trying to cover it up the next day and um, but yeah I, I was on that journey I was on that journey and then quite quickly after that I was walking around the base with a picture of a logo which is now our Hidden Valley Bushcraft logo uh, uh-huh. and, and and asking people what do you think of this what do you think of that what colour you know what kind of arrangement There's five thousand people on the base so it was a perfect sounding board to get people who are not your friends tell you whether it's good or not <laughs> yeah and uh, you just got to have the balls to, to have a go so um you know i the hidden valley bushcraft was very much built and designed while still in hasler company and with the complete support of my wife my god just just to be on this phone call today she had to set me up like i do not do technology you asked me to go build a cabin in the woods i build a cabin in the woods you, you asked me to skype someone oh
0: yeah, but but your computer sitting on the the ammo box and everything—that's that's pretty wicked looking.
1: Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm looking at a box that says explosive blasting type D uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, PE seven. Uh, it's um it's uh it's uh, obviously not live. It's uh, in an old ammunition box, uh, demos dems box, which I use for kindling next to our um, wood burner at the house, and I actually have a 105 shell. Uh, as to put all the tools inside for the the fire so that was a big part of things for me was repurposing former military items to be part of my new life so the ammunition oven we have down in the woodland is a grenade launcher ammunition box which is a superb oven I do legs of lamb roasts with people down there we learn underneath the parachute Um, you know it's all very simple everything just has to be carried in set up
0: and you get the fire on and you're away I, what I love about this story that you just laid out um, about your bushcraft company is that it really took you back to that grounding, to that roots of what you described as a young lad, you know, mm. and growing up and everything that you really found your center by going back to where you found your greatest joy. Something
1: I often say, first, we got sometimes you've got to go backwards to go forwards. Yeah. You know, when someone sits down around a campfire and they say to me, oh, it's, it's all gone wrong. She's left me. Uh, you know, they, 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 they're completely catastrophizing. They're in a complete world. You, you've just, you've got to do that right thing. You've got to listen. You've got two ears and one mouth for a reason. You listen, you listen, you listen. And when it's yeah. your turn, you know, when you're doing the whole mental health dance, you get in and you get out. So you get in, you plant the seed and you get out. All whilst... Telling them to oh sorry uh, could you just um put pu- push that piece of firewood in on the fire yeah sorry carry on because then you can control the flow of the story if they're getting faster and more rampant and it's coming out faster and faster I mean it people call it eco therapy it's just talking to another human around the campfire and not being afraid of the things that are going to come out of their mouth if they say they're on about ending their life you know don't act surprised because because you know kind of panic breeds panic you've got to be like okay right let's discuss this then you know is this something you're seriously considering and you need to kind of work out what's what then and be able to signpost them on to, to, uh, adequate services thereafter and to encourage further support. Um, You know, and that might be that they keep coming back for nine weeks on the trot down to the woods to help me sort the orchard out, dredge the stream, plant new trees, whatever it's going to be. There's always jobs to do down there. And that's kind of how the Woodland warrior program works is once you're in the the winner's enclosure, you've done that initial weekend with with six veterans who don't know each other, all come down, spend a weekend in the woods. Uh, They come to us very much as individuals and they leave as a tribe. And that's kind of how it works. And then they get invited back for further days where they can learn how to hedge lay. They can learn how to dry stone wall, They can get, we trying to get them into British farming. If there's something that leads onto a job, in the outdoors, then that's, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll try and support that any way we can. And we're building bridges with other small charities and, and not for profits like ours. Um, yeah, totally. That is the, in essence, the woodland warrior program is, cause you think about the word warrior and soldier, A soldier takes, soldier takes his money from the queen or the president mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to go and do the job. <clears throat> and a warrior doesn't necessarily even need to be paid. A warrior will spend themselves completely in a cause they feel worthy of, of doing so. So it's a different type of person and uh that they're the people we tend to see around the campfire.
0: Providing an environment like that so that people can openly talk and share, it's got to be healing and therapeutic for them and you know like you said you don't have to be necessarily qualified. The fact that you're just allowing them to to share their story, you know, it's it's got to be a wonderful thing.
1: It's the only <clears throat>
0: for me it's the only rational
1: way for me to be able to share my story is if I know that some good is going to come out of it for someone somewhere else. Yeah. Otherwise it's a, otherwise it's a purely an ego exercise and that's, that's not what this is about. So like the YouTube channel, my last video I just put up was literally, I think it, um, it says on there warning scenes of war. There's a few clips from the tour and bits and pieces of fighting footage. And I'm basically walking around the woodland and talking about how spending time in the outdoors breeds the re- requires the resilience that then gives you the confidence at the end, that quiet confidence to know uh, that you can can operate in in, in all uh, environments and under your own steam. And it it really does put you back on your feet. Um, The simple exercises like making a fire, collecting water, filtering that water, purifying that water, and making a wild cup of tea. Well, you've also then got to make the fire, haven't you, as well? (laughs) And there's a whole resilience process that goes on inside that, waiting for that one bloody cup of tea. And then when you have it at the end, that's the reward, and and then you have the confidence to know that you can do that process. Do you see what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. Without the kiss, the primal
2: aspect of it as well, Nick, isn't it? You know, and and I think when whenever I've been to the woodland with you, and you know, uh, just in general, when when you're around that campfire and that those flames, it's it's almost like a reset button. You know, Mm. that primal instinct in all of us, with that natural affiliation of fire and how it's a tool to achieve those things like you said making you know a, a, a cup of tea or cooking on it whatever it might be it's it's just like pressing the reset button in people and it's, it's just that comforter I think for people who you may never have done it before but you just naturally are drawn to it and it, it just puts everyone at ease doesn't it
1: Completely. I mean, the the three R's are recuperate. So that's your first job is to recuperate. You then recalibrate yourself while you're there. And then when you're ready, you re-engage. So it's recuperate, recalibrate, re-engage. Simple. Um, When I sat down and thought about what is it we do, and I remember being asked at one point on a a TV show, because we managed to somehow make a bit of noise. And, and we, we, we had attention of, of Sky came and filmed with us. All kinds of people were suddenly interested in what we were doing. Nice. And, and I remember uh, in one of these, I say high pressure, compared to some of the stuff I'd done in my past life, but I was still bricking it because I'm talking to a celebrity or someone. And they're, <laughs> and they're saying, so what is it you do? And I found myself saying, we give people tribe again. It's as simple as that. That's what we do. Yeah. We give people tribe again. And, and there are lots of amazing programs out there. And I know there's some stuff happening in the US. There's some stuff happening in Canada. I am fast on the track to September. Well, September that's just gone. I was due to be flying out to uh, Alaska to go and do a recce for something. As I'm very keen in the future to take the Woodland Warrior program and make it international. So take the model that we use um, and roll that out to what I'm calling sort of Five eyes. So you've kind of got New Zealand, Australia, America, Canada and Brits uh, in a large, vast piece of uh, probably American uh, wilderness uh, and and run the course as is again. So you've got veterans from all these different kind of um, backgrounds and countries coming together to do the same thing that our veterans are doing here in the woods. As long as you're human and you've got a heart and a brain, it should help 300,000 years worth of evolution states if you put you and I around a campfire. We're going to have some real conversations. We're going to get to know each other.
0: I think it's uh, magnificent. As a matter of fact, I probably know a few veterans that would love to help you in that endeavor here in the U.S. to get something oh, started. Wow. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and the, I'm sure they uh, many of them would probably include things like hiking and, you know, those types of things that, again, absolutely. provide a little bit more strenuous um, work effort. and Snowshoeing. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> You know, whatever the case may be. And I mean, I think it's all part of it where you like you're talking about, where you get down to those tribal moments where you really find yourself, where you have to, you know, to to concentrate on not the noise and everything, because it's just nature around you. And, and you're having to deal with the things that you don't typically want to have to deal with. In some cases, it, we like the noise. You it know? holds
1: you to account. The outdoors yeah. holds you to account. If it starts blowing a huli and that cold northerly wind comes in. If you don't get out of that wind, get adequate protection on you, set up a shelter, whatever it's going to take, well, guess what? You're going to die. So it, it, it moves you to action. And it might be that you're going through a period of your life where you're kind of one of those, oh, I'll get around to that, I'll get around to that. And you, you go around half starting things and half finishing. then. spending time in the outdoors, like I said, gives you that confidence and resilience, but and it holds you to account. It, it moves you to action you have to do something about your situation to improve it in order to come home after all. So, you know, it's a simple game of calories in versus calories out um, from the off.
0: How can people find out more about Hidden Valley Bushcraft and not only that, but then also mention you know, the, the name of your YouTube channel, if it's not that. Um, And then if if people are wanting to get in contact with you to learn more about, or to assist you in bringing these programs to the U S to um, you know, Australia to Canada, who may be listening to this episode, how might they go about doing that?
1: Oh, wow. I mean, yeah, we're, we're, we're on pretty much most of the uh, social media channels you can find. We're, we're Hidden Valley Bushcraft or at Hidden Valley Bushcraft on things like Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter. I think we're at HV, uh, so Hotel HVB. Victor Bushcraft, HVB. There we go. I'm glad someone was paying attention. <laughs> and then the YouTube channel, the YouTube channel is Hidden Valley Bushcraft. So Hidden okay. Double D. Uh, valley double L. um and then we have our website which is hiddenvalleybushcraft.co.uk any email that you send is going to go straight to louise i'm not going to pretend that it's me um i'm in the woods <laughs> <laughs> i'm in the woods almost every single day i mean i'm in my four before i'm in the land Rover defender or on a quad bike uh, an atv and i'm i'm down there with a the chainsaw i'm doing something uh with someone somewhere so um but but I, I we, we sit down every evening while we have our dinner and, and we kind of talk things through. We're a husband and wife team. Um Louise, I should mention, was a police detective uh in the fraud squad and child protection special victims unit or whatever you call it. And uh she she did that for eleven years and she's extremely patient and puts up with all my BS. So it's <laughs> I'm, I'm forever thankful to her. Uh, Scott knows her well. <laughs> they they have to liaise to get me to do anything, so yeah.
0: So. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you coming on our podcast and sharing your story and everything, and especially this most important aspect of it about how you're trying to to take the, the struggles that you've had, how you've come through that or are working on that on a daily basis, and how then you can help others go through that same process. So, you know, that to me is what it's all about. And like you said, it's about building that tribe that we sometimes mm-hmm. always forget that we have available to us. Um, and there are programs such as yours that, if not near you today, um, that may be coming very soon, it sounds like, where people can get engaged and get involved and, and take part of it and actually, um, hopefully find some, you know, healing themselves as they mm. go through uh, their own journey.
1: Absolutely. And I just want to say, it's been a genuine honor to be on this podcast. I've watched it from afar. As you said, we've, you know, we Scott approached me a while back and said, "Look, we'd we'll try and get you on at some point," and we were so busy, I, I just couldn't even, you know, find time to scratch my behind. But it's been amazing to be on here. Thank you, thank you uh, for having me on. And if anyone's listening, uh, it's a big hello to our friends across the pond uh, from where I am now.